This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. You know where Paul says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have the Spirit of the Son who cries, Father. You know, that, that relationship is brought to us, you know, in, in our hearts. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one who, who integrates us into the love of God. I just want to carry on then, uh, filling in a few of the gaps and, and before we move on to the next stage. Uh, we talked about how to re reconcile the question of uh, our own experience of God and the love of God and salvation with such things as predestination and um, uh, the divine decree and, and providence and so on, uh, how that is the big picture. Uh, of something that we experience in our own lives. And I think it's from that experience of God's love in our own lives that we can at least make sense of the bigger picture, even if we can't understand it. Uh, we're never going to understand everything about God's purposes. It's not, we, we just can't begin doing that. But we can get the assurance of his presence in our own lives and see how he works in us and then realize that if he, this is what he's doing for us, uh, then he will do it for others as well. A couple of things then to say before we move uh, on further. Uh, and that is that uh, the context in which uh, we have been created, the way in which we have been created, determines uh, the nature, first of all, of our uh, sinfulness, the, the, of the, the way in which we've been cut off by, uh, from God, and of course, the way in which uh, we are put back. Uh, into the presence of God. That is to say, the way in which our salvation works. And uh, key to what I have been uh, saying, although I haven't put it in so many words so far, uh, is that the whole question of evil, what is evil? Evil can only be understood uh, uh, in personal terms. Uh, only a personal being is capable of sinning. Um, only a personal being uh, is capable of being responsible uh, for his or her actions. Uh, and therefore, uh, of course, only a personal being can be regarded as guilty, because guilt and responsibility are really the same thing, just seen from a different uh, point of view, you might say. You mean you're responsible whether you're guilty or not. Um, you know, it's a, responsibility is a, is a broader uh, concept than this. Um, it also means, of course, that uh, for us, uh, the whole concept of free will, whether we have free will to, uh, and so on, uh, is really connected uh, to our personhood, whether we are persons or not. We wouldn't have a will at all if we weren't persons. Um, 
Uh, I mean, the, 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 those things are connected. I, I don't think you can really say uh, that a dog or a cat has a will. I mean, that's perhaps pushing things a little bit too far. Um, uh, I suppose in one sense they have a will, but um, uh, in, in another sense they don't, um, uh, they don't think. Uh, in the way that we do. They can't exercise their will in the way that we do. They act more instinctively. Uh, so that's a, a slightly different uh, kind of freedom, a kind of will, you might say, uh, from what we have. Um, but uh, because of our sinfulness, because of the fact that, that our relationship with God has been broken um, through sin, um, our will is no longer free in the way that the will of Adam was. Um, when I say this, I don't mean to say that you can't decide uh, you know, whether you're going to cross the road or not. I mean, at that kind of level, um, you, know, you may have some sort of freedom, but you cannot decide whether to be a sinner or not. I mean, Adam could. Adam could decide whether to obey or disobey, but you and I cannot. Uh, I mean, we are sinners whether we choose to be or not. Uh, and indeed, one of the dilemmas that we face uh, as Christians is precisely this, because of course as Christians we don't want to be sinners. I mean, nobody actually wants this. Um, but we are stuck with this, whether, uh, you know, against our will. Uh, and this of course creates a tension in our lives, which uh, is a tension that continues to exist in us as long as we are present in this life. And this again is very important because it reminds us that salvation, our salvation, has two quite distinct aspects. There is the experience of a relationship with God here on earth. Uh, that is to say, we can know God and his presence in our lives and we can uh, uh, have a sense of obeying him and so on here and now. But we cannot escape from the inheritance of sinfulness which comes to us from uh, the fall of Adam. I mean, there's no way uh, that we can get away from that as long as we are in this life. So that in that respect, at least, our salvation is not fulfilled, it is not complete until uh, we uh, die and go to heaven. I mean, we can't um, uh, experience it in its fullness uh, here in this life. So there is a difference here that we have to bear in mind. And this again is important. Um, it's particularly important for our experience in the Christian life because uh, invariably, inevitably, uh, we are going to fail um, because uh, the, the inheritance of sinfulness is still with us and, and we are here. Um, there's no way that we cannot fail in, in some respect. Uh, we, 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 we fail because we're not perfect. Uh, and uh, it's important to understand that we can fail uh, and be forgiven. Uh, that forgiveness is something uh, which uh, is possible um, for those who fail uh, in the Christian life. Now this may seem obvious in a way, uh, but we need to re remind ourselves of this for two reasons. 
One, because in the early church, there were people who didn't believe that. There were people who thought that once you were baptized, if you failed, there was no more forgiveness. You would lose your salvation. Um, this was known as the problem of post-baptismal sin. And the only cure for this, the only way you could deal with post-baptismal sin, uh, was by being rebaptized, or not perhaps, that's perhaps the wrong word, not rebaptized with water, because you couldn't be baptized twice with water, no, but baptized with the baptism of fire, uh, which is the baptism, was interpreted as the baptism of martyrdom, uh, which was the only way, you see, only blood could take away uh, the sin uh, committed after baptism. With the result that you get people like Tertullian, for example, um, around the year 200, uh, you know, writing at great length about the joys of martyrdom um, and so on, because martyrdom is the solution uh, to people who sin after baptism. Um, Tertullian also did not believe in the baptism of infants. He didn't want children to be baptized because, uh, not because he didn't think it, was, uh, the, it would work, but because he felt that if a child was baptized and, of course, didn't know that, didn't realize this, I mean, not conscious of it, the child was very likely to sin uh, at a later stage and therefore lose its salvation which he thought was very unfair on the child. Uh, and his solution to this, I mean, Tertullian was a, was a great one for this kind of thing. His solution to this was uh, to wait until you were about 30 uh, and be baptized. And the logic of this was he felt that young people like to sin. So it's, it's best to let them do it, you know, uh, sow their wild oats while they're young. Uh, and, and, and so on, and, and not tie them down. And when they get to 30 or so, they're ready to settle down, uh, you know, and when they become couch potatoes, um, then they, they won't have the energy to sin anymore. Uh, so you could baptize them and with a reasonable chance that they, would, um, they wouldn't sin again before they died. Um, I mean, it's a rather strange way of thinking, but that's what he thought, um, you know, in, in this uh, sort of way. So uh, just be aware of this, that, that this was a problem in the early church. It's a problem today in a rather different way. I don't think many people uh, would get into the post-baptismal sin problem in quite the same way as, it, as they did back then. Um, but... Uh, the the idea being uh, that um, a lot of, there are people who feel that they cannot be forgiven by God, that they've done things in their lives, uh, you know, that are just too bad, too awful for God to forgive, uh, and uh, particularly you know if they uh, are church members, believers, and so on, and uh, they feel they've let God down in some way or other. Um, and I've certainly come across people like this in, in my own church, uh, you know, people who, who just bear this burden, um, something in their hearts and minds that they've done wrong, um, and they know, and they just... They, one woman said to me one time, she said, I can't forgive myself. She said, I can't forgive myself, then I, I don't think God can forgive me either. And I had to say to her, I said, well, the whole point of 
Christ coming into the world was to forgive you for something that you can't forgive yourself for. You're not meant to forgive yourself. Uh, I mean, of course I can't forgive myself. That's, um, I mean, actually, that's never been my problem. I'm not, I admire this woman because she couldn't forgive herself. I, say, I had to, to be perfectly honest with you. I find forgiving myself extremely easy. Um, you know, uh, I never seem to do anything really wrong in my own eyes. Um, and um, you see what I mean? But, uh, but this is not the point. We are not the judges, one way or the other. Uh, we are either too lenient or too strict uh, with ourselves. This is not the, 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 uh, the criterion. God is the judge, and God is also the one who deals uh, with his mercy and forgiveness uh, with the judgment that he has pronounced. So, uh, you know, we need to get away from, our, from ourselves in this respect and remember that um, we, we have a distorted uh, perception of these things precisely because of our sinfulness. Uh, and to, the, to be set free uh, from this is part of what Jesus Christ has come to do. All right. Well, moving on from there, um, the other thing that we know, of course, is that when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, when they were thrown out of the garden, their sinfulness their, their, their was passed on from them to the rest of the human race. This is also Christian doctrine. What does this mean? Well, let's start by thinking for a minute of what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you and I necessarily sin in the same way that Adam and Eve did. In other words, it's not by eating an apple in the garden that we sin. I mean, we don't copy them in that way. Nor, of course, would it be possible for us to copy them in that way uh, because uh, since we inherit their sinfulness, uh, we don't have the choice. You see, they had a choice that we don't have. Uh, so it makes no sense to say that we've inherited their sin in, in, in the way, or their sinfulness. Uh, we've inherited their position, and we can sin in the way that they did. That's not the case. We are sinful whether we wish to be or not. But here we need to make a distinction, uh, and you'll notice I'm being careful in what I say, between sin and sinfulness. Uh, this distinction is not always made um, uh, in theology or in the literature that you read on the subject. Uh, and so confusion results. Confusion results particularly when we come to deal with young children. Because people will say, well, young children do not sin. They cannot sin. Uh, they have no ability to sin because they have no ability to do anything. Um, you know, they're just there, and so what can they do? I mean, you know, they're not, um, they're not consciously able to, to commit sins. But this is a, a superficial view of what sin is. Um, and it is not what the church has ever taught or what the Bible says uh, about it. Um, what the Bible says and what the church teaches is that we inherit not sins in the, in the sense of actions uh, that we commit, but sinfulness a state of being sinful, whether or not we do anything. Uh, what we do uh, is the result of what we are. 
Uh, it is what we are that determines the quality of what we do, uh, whether it is good, bad, or ugly. Uh, and anything you do in a state of sinfulness, even if it's a good thing, is still tainted with sin because you are sinful. It's the work of a sinful person. So you cannot uh, claim this. You see, you can't go to God and say, well, I've done all kinds of good things. Uh, Lord, you've got to forgive me for this. Uh, because God will say, yes, but that's not the problem. You've done a lot of good things, but you've done them in the wrong state for the wrong reason. Um, you know, the, the basic underlying sinfulness uh, from which you suffer has not been dealt with. And unless that has been dealt with, then the rest me is meaningless. The other side of it, of course, is that if, you, uh, if your sinfulness is, de is dealt with, if you have been forgiven for this, um, then what you do, uh, which as I say will always be imperfect in some way or other, I mean nobody is perfect, um, will not count against you uh, because your basic sinfulness uh, has been dealt with. Your, 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 your state before God has been, has been taken care of and the rest um, you know, can be forgiven, can be and will be forgiven um, because uh, you know, your base, your, the basic problem um, has been solved. Well, what is this basic problem? This basic problem is a, what we call today a broken relationship with God. Now this again has to be properly understood. A broken relationship with God does not mean to say that we have no relationship with God. Uh, some people think that and they certainly talk as if this were the case. Um, you get people, for example, who preach what they think is the gospel and what they say is something like, uh, and I'm caricaturing here a little bit, but I just want to, you know, uh, make you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, they will say something like, um, you know, you, you, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to enter into uh, some kind of personal connection with him. Uh, you may have tried drugs, you may have tried sex, you may have tried Eastern religions, you may have tried this, that, or the other. Um, you know, but they haven't done anything for you. Uh, now you need to try Jesus. You see, the assumption being that uh, you're a kind of blank, a tabula rasa, uh, you know, in, in your own heart and mind and soul, and, and you can sort of, you know, choose this, try that, go somewhere else, and then you know, when you try Jesus, Jesus will sort of fit the bill. Uh, you know, he will fill in the blank um, in the right way. And a lot of people think like this, you see, and they talk like this. I mean, as I say, I'm caricaturing slightly, but that's the basic message that comes across. You know, you're, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling you, you need something in your life that you haven't got. Try Jesus. You know, Jesus will, will fill the hole in your heart, or this, this kind of thing. Well, um, that sounds good, but it's not the gospel. It's not the true gospel because the broken relationship with God that we have is not absence of relationship. It doesn't, it's not a blank. It is a rebellion. Uh, and uh, people who, who uh, are in a state of rebellion against God have a relationship with him uh, by definition. 
our relationship with God is, is something given to us in our creation when, because we are made in the image and likeness of God. You see, we are, we, we are given this um, as part of our created being. Uh, but it is a relationship that has gone wrong. It is the wrong relationship. And when a relationship is wrong, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to put it right again. Uh, some of us, of course, uh, you know, if you look in your own life and uh, uh, things when you fall out with people, uh, and this happens from time to time, um, only very seldom does it ever seem to put itself right. You know, um, somehow or other, once you once something goes wrong in a relationship, everything that then happens seems to either confirm that or make it worse. You know, it's correcting a, a, a wrong relationship is very very hard. I'm not saying that it can't be done, uh, and that it's never done. It can be, and it is sometimes, but it requires an awful lot more than just saying, "Oh well, let's forget about it." You know. Uh, let's let's forget. Let bygones be bygones. Let it be. Um, sometimes that can happen. You you say that it's not worth you know arguing about. Let's forget it. And it might work, but it only works if you don't have anything much more to do with the people. You know, if you sort of say, all right, you know, we'll let that be, but then you go your separate ways, and, and you don't really have much to do with them after that. You don't fight them anymore, you don't argue, argue with them or angry with them, but the relationship that you had before is not reconstituted. This is a very hard thing. And of course, the closer the relationship has been, the harder it is to put back together again once it falls apart. Why? Because the falling apart goes deeper. Uh, you know, that's uh, uh, inevitable. The deeper the relationship, uh, to begin with, uh, the more tragic the, uh, the collapse of the relationship will be. I mean, um, you know, if I have, a, uh, say, a business partner in China whom I've never really met, um, but I sort of deal with him, and then something or other, you know, changes and we, we, we stop relating to each other, I might shrug my, shoulder and shrug my shoulders and say, oh, that's a pity. Uh, but I'm unlikely to fall apart uh, emotionally over something like this. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a family member or a spouse or something like that, somebody that I'm very close to, and that falls apart, uh, then because it's a very close thing uh, to begin with, it affects every part of my life. Um, you know, and I may go through great suffering and great turmoil because of this, um, because of the closeness of the original relationship. Now, if you think about God, of course, there is no closer relationship. Uh, he is our creator. Um, you know, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. Um, not only that, he is our sustainer, because even though we have fallen away, we're still here, and uh, I mean, he looks after us and protects us and keeps us going and so on. I mean, he is in control of our lives, uh, whether we admit it, whether we like it or not. Uh, and so the depth of this relationship, I mean, our total dependence on him from the beginning um, is such 
that uh, the brokenness um, is bound to be uh, much more far-reaching and much more uh, catastrophic um, than any other uh, brokenness. And this is true, of course, of every human being. You know, whether we admit it or not, uh, whether we accept it or not, this is, this is the state that we find ourselves in. Now, it's this brokenness, you see, as, uh, as a man or as a woman, I mean, we cannot pass on to our children what we haven't got. So if we haven't got a right relationship with God, we can't give that to our children. You know, they inherit from us. They inherit this broken relationship. Now this, of course, is a spiritual thing. It's not in their genes. It's not as if you can have an operation and take out the bad relationship and, and put a right relationship in its place. Uh, no, it's something which is innate um, uh, in us uh, and, and that we have inherited because we inherit this uh, from our parents. Uh, and there's no other way, uh, you know, that uh, that, that it can be. I mean, uh, there, there's no such thing as an innocent child. And this again is extremely important because think what would happen if there were. I mean, if children came into the world innocent, that is to say, without sin of any kind, without sinfulness, the fact that they hadn't actually sinned doesn't really matter. There are two questions you would have to answer. First of all, is it possible, let's assume that every child comes into the world sinless, is it possible to grow up and remain sinless? Well, I suppose theoretically it would be. I mean, why should you lose your sinfulness automatically? Um, we haven't as yet come across any such person. At least, we don't think we have. Presumably someone who is sinless might not know it. You know, I mean, how would they know? Uh, if they haven't experienced it themselves, it's very hard to know. But how would anybody know? What, what does sinfulness, sinlessness entail? What would it be like? Well, of course, the, the evidence we have, the one person who was sinless was Jesus. But the interesting thing about Jesus is that, uh, from this point of view, is that when you read the Gospels, Jesus is the only person in the Gospels who is consistently regarded as a sinner. I mean, every time he did anything, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees would be down on him just for that. You know, everything Jesus did was somehow wrong, you know, in their eyes. So the sinless person was regarded by everybody else as sinful, you know, uniquely sinful. And perhaps that would have to be the case, that, that because a sinless person would be completely different from every other human being, but different in a way that is hard to pin down, 
I mean, it wouldn't be a difference of, you know, appearance or anything like this. Be a difference of thinking, a difference of behavior. But it would be abnormal in some way. You know, it would be, it, 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 like, as Jesus, I mean, Jesus wasn't a freak. He wasn't abnormal in that way. But, I mean, he did things, you know, like he healed on the Sabbath day, which you weren't supposed to do, and he would eat with publicans and sinners, which you weren't supposed to do, and, and so on. You know, he, he'd break all the rules um, and, and what have you. Um, precisely because he was sinless. And he said that. I mean, you know, if my father is at work, I must be at work. And the fact that it's the Sabbath day, man was made for the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, uh, you know, uh, he'd sort of rewrite the rules, as it were, as you go along, and uh, put them in perspective. And how did he have the authority to do that? Um, you, you see what I mean? It's all very well to declare yourself sinless uh, if you rewrite the rules accordingly. Um, you know, I mean, why not? Uh, but so it would be a very difficult thing to imagine, and you would have to find some way of, uh, of defining it, some way of, of noticing it, if it were possible, um, you know, to, uh, to do this. Um, but of course, in fact, it, it's not. There is no such person. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.